a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. David gives to Solomon just before he dies. And he's saying, oh, be strong. And show yourself a man. Observe what God requires. Walk in his ways. Keep his decrees and his commands. And they're good instructions to us as well, aren't they? We're not pre- I'm not honing in on this passage particularly. But that's how it starts off. And so in his early 20s, Solomon becomes king. Maybe some of you are in your early 20s this morning. Some of you can remember what it was like to be in your early 20s for me just two or three years ago. Um, But at that sort of age, Solomon is made king. And um, early in his kingship, really early in his kingship, God comes to him. And uh, I'm going to look at in a second what God says to him and uh, some other things about Solomon as we progress through the story. I want to learn what God has for us this morning from the accounts of Solomon. So David has given his charge to him. Solomon becomes king in his early 20s. And in just a second, we'll look at what happened, one of the first occurrences in his kingship. But let's pray before we get into this in further detail. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being with us this morning. And we pray now as we spend these moments looking at Solomon's life. God, would you speak to us, please? As we look at some of the good things and some of the not so good things about Solomon. God, would you teach us, please? Would we learn from what we read and what you apply to us now? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so Solomon has become king. And then in 1 Kings chapter 3, God comes to him. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 4. The king went to Gibeon. This is Solomon now. Goes to Gibeon to offer sacrifices for what was the most important high, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? God comes to Solomon and makes him an offer. He says, ask me for whatever you want. Whatever you want. I wonder if God was to come to you, if you went home after today, you'd been here this morning, maybe you're with friends this afternoon, you're obviously at the prayer meeting at 6 until 7 at the Aston Court Hotel, and then you head on to the, uh, the Costa gig, and you have a good evening with friends, you get home, go to bed, obviously at a sensible and appropriate time, And you fall asleep. And God comes to you this evening in a dream. I wonder if God came to you this evening like that in a dream. And he said to you, ask me for whatever you want. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. What would you say? What would your answer 
be, I wonder. This isn't just a lucky dip. It's not like you're putting your hand in a bag and you're sort of reaching in and rummaging around and you wonder what you might pull out. It might be a great present or, or it might be, oh no, it's one of those ties from Auntie Flo again. You know, it might be good, it might not be good. It's not like that. God's saying, ask me for whatever you want. I wonder how would you answer? What would your response be? Solomon chose wisely. Solomon made a really good call at this point in his life. The NIV says he asked God for a discerning heart. The ESV puts it as an understanding mind. Solomon recognised his weakness and he asked God for wisdom. He realises that he's only in his early 20s. He hasn't been on the how to be king course. You know, he hasn't read the, you know, being a king for dummies handbook. He doesn't really know what he's doing. He recognises this is a great people that God has given him to govern and he needs help. There's a clue here. He recognises his situation. He recognises his weakness and is not afraid to ask God for help. And it's interesting. He asks God for wisdom. And that's what Solomon becomes known for, isn't it? Solomon becomes known for wisdom, being a wise person. You only have to look at other parts of the the Old Testament. You, you You read about it. But I wonder, if you knew that what you were to ask God for in your dream this evening, if that happened to you, you would become known for, I wonder if it would change your answer. I wonder if you might be thinking, oh, Well, maybe if I was to be known for that thing, then maybe I'd ask for something different. Solomon didn't know that. He just asked God for what he thought was best for him in this stage of life. And God also blessed him with great riches, great honour, a wonderful wealth, more than anybody could imagine. He had prestige as well, all because he asked for a good thing. He asked for wisdom and God gladly gave it to him. I mean, Solomon's wisdom was incredible. Solomon's wisdom was quite remarkable. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29, it says that God gave Solomon wisdom and a very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than any other man, including Ethan the Ezraites, wiser than Heman, Calcol and Dardra, the sons of Mahal. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. I, I love that. <laughs> it wasn't just about 1,000. It's 1,005, quite precisely. He described plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He talked about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. Men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Have you got the point? God gave him really a whole load of wisdom. More than I guess he could have imagined when he asked God for it. And God answered him faithfully. In 1 Kings chapter 10, we don't have time to look at it now, the Queen of Sheba comes to Solomon to to hear from him, to hear his wisdom. God has given wisdom to Solomon, and it's quite a remarkable gift. Solomon writes most of the Proverbs, but it's interesting and good for us to note, perhaps reassuring even for us, 
that whilst Solomon was remarkable in the gift of wisdom that God had given him, wisdom isn't unique to Solomon. It's not unique. It's not that we're looking back in history and saying, there was a wise chap, good on him. No, 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 we can learn from this. Because in the New Testament, James says this in his letter, James 1 verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So we've got an example in the Old Testament of somebody who needed wisdom to carry out the task that God had given him. And God gave him wisdom. In the New Testament, you find James writing saying, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So God makes us a promise here, right here in the book of James, and right here this morning, God says, if you need wisdom, you can ask me for it. We can look back at Solomon and go, wow, that was a wise chap. Why? Because God gave him wisdom. But God makes us a promise this morning. I want to suggest to you that wisdom is not particularly for church meetings such as this. I don't think that's what James is referring to. Now, some of us may need wisdom on a Sunday morning. I know particularly I find if I'm leading a meeting and there are lots of contributions, I'm thinking, which ones do we have? There are so many. You know, what's God saying here? How do we juggle this? Sometimes I'm asking God for wisdom in that sort of situation. But listen, for most of you this morning, actually, if you're asking God for wisdom, it probably isn't for right now. It probably isn't for this time on a Sunday morning. But rather, if you're asking God for wisdom, actually, it's for tomorrow. It's for the week ahead. It's for the situation that you're facing in your life right now. That's what you need wisdom for. And that's what God promises that he wants to give you wisdom in. Now, you may, not, you may or may not become famous for your wisdom, like Solomon did. Probably most of us won't. But God does promise this, friends. He does promise that if you need wisdom, you ask God for it and he'll give it to you. So it may be that you're a medic. And uh, in a situation this week, you, you face, you've got a patient in front of you, critically ill. You're not sure what drug to give. You look it up in the book, it doesn't really help you. You've got two options. What do you do? Is it A or B? You don't know. Those around you are not sure. What do you do? You ask God. You pray and say, God, give me wisdom now. That's the sort of situation that you're asking God for wisdom in. Maybe you're in business. And you have a situation this week, you're trying to sign off a large contract for your company. And just things aren't going quite as well as you hoped for. And there's some hiccups, you're not quite sure how to overcome these hurdles that have come up. What do you do? You ask God for wisdom. You say, God, help me here. Help me here. Maybe you're a teacher or a lecturer, and you've got a class of unruly pupils in front of you this week. And you've tried every trick you know to get their attention. Other people who have been teaching for years have told you, try this, try that. You've tried that, it didn't work. You know, you've got out the textbook, for, you've got out your notes from uh, lectures at uni, I'll oh, try this, it doesn't work. What do you do? You ask God for wisdom. That's the situation where you're saying, God help me here. Maybe you're at home this week. Maybe you've got a troublesome toddler. And you're thinking, oh God, I just don't know how to respond now. And you've read all the parenting books there are, and believe me, there are loads of them. Don't read all of them, it'll just confuse you. <laughs> you've got all the magazines, you've spoken to friends and family, and you, you're just at wit's end, 
knowing how to handle a situation. What do you do? You pray. You ask God for wisdom. Friends, that's the sort of situation that God loves to give wisdom in. It's not here as you sit in a comfortable chair on a Sunday morning. It's not that God's going to come to you and and impart wisdom just now. He may do, but I want to suggest to you, probably it's going to come when you need it most. As you pray and you ask God, God, what do I do? How do I move forward in this? That's when God wants to answer those prayers for you. Solomon had amazing wisdom. James promises, listen, you ask God for it when you need it. He will give it to you. I want to pray this morning. We will do when we close in a few moments. I want to pray for wisdom. Maybe some of you are facing situations right now you need wisdom for. In your life, in the week ahead, you know that you're going to face something. You just need God to speak and to show you which path to take, where to turn, how to move forward. I believe God will give wisdom in those things this morning. But as well as wisdom, we, we read about Solomon's worship. Solomon's worship. Solomon, if you read the account of his life, was a prolific builder. It's seen that Solomon loved to have building projects on the go. And they're not just sort of little extensions here and there, not just a garden shed in in the backyard, but we're talking major building projects here. He spent seven years building the temple. He spent 13 years building his palace. And these were amazing structures. And when he finished the temple... We're told that Solomon had the ark brought into the temple. And the ark symbolized God's presence. So once he'd built the, once he'd built the temple, he, he arranges to have the ark brought in. You see, God dwelt where the ark was. Maybe you know the story of a guy called Obed Edom. I love the name Obed. And that's, that's a great name. Obed Edom. <laughs> uh, who thinks that's a good name? Come on, are you with me on this? Yeah, Obed-Eden. That's a great name, isn't it? I love the name Obed-Eden. I think it's an excellent name, Obed-Eden. Anyway, Obed-Eden in 2 Samuel 6. The ark is taken to Obed-Eden's house. And because God dwells where the ark is at this point in the Old Testament, we find that God blesses his family tremendously because of it. God's blessing is all over this guy, all over his family. Him who has such an excellent name of Obed-Edom. God blesses him because the ark is there. And the ark symbolises God's presence. The ark symbolises where God dwells, where he lives, where he is. Solomon knows this. And so he arranges, once the temple is built, to have the ark brought into the temple. And we're told this in 1 Kings 8, verse verse 10. When the priests withdrew from the holy place... The cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. Solomon knew that he was building a house for God. It wasn't just a nice looking structure. He knew that God's presence was going to be there. And that's what the cloud symbolizes as the priests come out. The cloud fills the temple. So thick is the presence of God that they couldn't do what they needed to do, couldn't perform their service. And later in 1 Kings 8, we find Solomon dedicating the temple. You can read the accounts at home, but it includes, just as some headlines, a sacrifice of 22,000 cattle, 
and 120,000 sheep and goats. So this was a fairly large occasion. Lots of noise, lots of celebration, lots of people, and God's presence comes. It's remarkable accounts. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, we, we read about what happened there. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. This is the chronicler's account of the, the same occasion here we read in the book of Kings. The priest couldn't enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is, he is good. His love endures forever. So Solomon's built this remarkable temple, brings the ark in, prays, dedicates it, and then fire comes down from heaven. Picture it. There's fire from heaven. There's the cloud, the presence of God. And it's an amazing occasion. Solomon loved the presence of God. That's why he'd built the temple, so God's presence could dwell there. And as he dedicated to it, and dedicated it, and prayed, God's presence came. There's fire. There's the clouds. It's incredible. Solomon was going for God's presence. That's what he wanted. And that's what God blessed him with in the temple. I wonder, are you going for the presence of God in the same way? Solomon loved the presence of God. Do you love the presence of God? Do you love his presence? Last weekend, on a Sunday evening, many of you went to Leicester for our regional celebration. It was a great evening. And again, Jeremy was teaching us about the Holy Spirit and the presence of God. And then we prayed and God came. It was great to pray for one another. And the Holy Spirit came and met many people powerfully. We had a great evening going for the presence of God. It's great to worship again this morning. And, you know, it's... It's a bit of a pain when the screen doesn't work. And you go, oh, you haven't written off a sheet now. That's about, I thought we passed, you know, song sheets years ago. It's okay. It's not about whether the words are on a screen or on a bit of paper. Or even if, dare I say it, we get the overhead projector out. It's not about that. It's, it's not even about having lots of contributions. Though we love contributions because we, we, we believe that God speaks through, through all of us. It's actually about going for the presence of God. Going for his presence. Wanting to meet him. It's for his glory. It's worship for God. And the great deal about worship is that we worship him and he comes. I mean, he's just worthy of worship anyway. But God loves to bless us. And as we worship him, as we focus on him, as we declare our love to him, God's presence comes. So I want to urge us, let's make sure we're going for the presence of God. Whether you're worshipping at home with a CD that's on in the background, whether you're in a life group context or here on a Sunday, let's be going for the presence of God. Solomon loved the presence of God. Let's make sure we love the presence of God too. But Solomon wasn't perfect. Solomon was a great worshipper. Solomon was very wise, but he did have weaknesses. He did have weaknesses. 
Solomon wasn't perfect. Now, in some ways, that may comfort us because we see that, that God can use an imperfect person for his glory, and he can. And that's good news because none of us are perfect. None of us have got it totally together. God still chooses to, to use us for his glory. But that is not and should not be an excuse for sin. So Solomon had weaknesses. So let's look at what they were. In 1 Kings chapter 3, it says this in, in verse 3. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David. It's good so far. Except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. These high places around the nation were often places where other gods, other than the Lord God, was worshipped. It doesn't say that Solomon was worshipping other gods. It just says that he offered sacrifices on some of these other places. And it was very clear that he shouldn't do that, that actually worship should happen in one place. And so it seems that Solomon was doing something here that was inconsistent with what God had told him. It was, it was not in line with what God had already spoken. We are not in line with God's commands. And you may argue, well, you know, that doesn't seem so bad. But it's not for us to judge whether it seems so bad or not. What's clear is that Solomon was inconsistent. And there was a weakness here. See, this was forbidden by God's law, but Solomon did it anyway. But God's call, you see, was for consistency, for purity, for holiness. And it seemed that this weakness that Solomon had here, just saying, oh, it's not so bad, you know, we'll, we'll do it anyway, it seemed to be the start of a rather slippery path in Solomon's life. You could argue, well, hey, it's just about where they worship God. Surely it isn't such a big deal. If you look at what happened later in Solomon's life, some compromise here, some inconsistency there seemed to lead to later problems that we'll look at in just a moment. I remember a meeting I was in some years ago and the preacher said this. He said, sin will always take you farther than you intended to go, keep you longer than you intended to stay and cost you more than you intended to pay. It's a good quote. I remembered it for years. And it's true, friends. It's true. Don't tolerate the little things. Don't say, oh, it doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. It's okay. It's only a small thing. Listen. Don't tolerate the small things. Don't give ground to anything. It's the little things that gnaw away at the foundations and over time could cause massive problems. Satan would want to trap you into thinking, hey, it doesn't matter. It's not important. It doesn't, you know, it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. God says it does matter. It is important. And it's not that you obtain your salvation by what you do. It's not about whether you know, God's going to strike you down and off the list of those that uh, he loves and those that he's going to welcome into heaven because our salvation is secure once we've trusted in Jesus. The Bible makes that very clear. But he wants you to be running into heaven, full of his presence, not sort of barely crawling in, so beaten up and marred by the world and sin that you've only just got there. See, these things do matter. You see, it's as you fight for truth, for purity, as you remain faithful to Jesus, God blesses you for it. You get a greater awareness of his presence, a greater sensitivity to his voice speaking to you. 
And as you build your foundations, rather than allow things to gnaw away at them, then that serves you well. That builds your inner life. That builds your relationship with God. So Solomon had a weakness here. He tolerated some things. And that leads us on to Solomon's second weakness, which was his wives. Solomon's second weakness here is his wives. 1 Kings 11 tells us about his wives. It says, he loved many foreign women. In case you need the definition of many, then the Bible tells us he had 700 wives and 300 concubines on top of that. By any standards or definition, that's a lot. But actually, by God's standard, for him, for us, any more than one is sinful. It's too many. Bear in mind, it all started so well for Solomon. In his early 20s, he becomes king. God comes to him and says, whatever you want. Solomon says, wisdom, please. And God gives it. Started so well. But now he's got 700 wives, 300 concubines. He had wisdom, wealth, honour. He had the palace, the temple. He had the presence of God. He had the fire and the smoke. And now he had all these wives. It all started so well. It was all going so well for him. But over the years, his weakness had got worse and worse and he's been led into this sin. And 1 Kings 11 verse 6 puts it like this. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. You don't want God to say that about you. Friends, you do not want God to say about you, such and such did evil in the sight of the Lord. We can think, how can it be? He started off so well. He honoured God's presence. There was the temple and the fire and the smoke and, and you know, he did the wisdom and the Proverbs and everything. But it all went wrong. Now, David wasn't perfect. We said that at the beginning. His father We've known about the story of Bathsheba and him sleeping with her and killing off her husband, and that was a mess. But we are told that David had a heart after God. Solomon started well, but got sidetracked and consumed by his many, many wives. And then his heart became cold towards God. 1 Kings 11. Verse 9 says, The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Scary, isn't it? He started so well. And you find the Lord becoming angry with him because of his sin. He started so well, but his heart became cold towards God. I was talking this week with a friend of mine who, lives a, who leads a church in, in another city. And I was talking to him about a particular couple that I know there. And um, this, this couple got, let's call this guy Bob, okay? This, this guy got married, this, 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 um, this guy in my friend's church, he got married... Not this summer, just gone the year before, last, last year. Bob was doing well. He got married to, to a lovely Christian girl. 
He was on the leadership team of their church. Everything seemed to be going great for Bob. You look in on the outside, you think, oh, he's got married, lovely wife, great marriage here. He's, on, he's doing well, he's serving God, he's, he's you know, beginning to grow in gifts of leadership. Everything seemed to be looking so good. That was the summer last year. By the end of last year, Bob had walked out on his new wife, was pursuing another woman, and now he's trying to be divorced from her. It's a mess. It's an absolute mess. And I said to my friends who, who leads his church, I said, how can it be? What went wrong? What is it that happened that you know, created this scenario that is now such a mess of damaged lives and sin? What went wrong with Bob? My friend said to me this. He said, his heart went cold towards God. Once that has happened, anything is possible. His heart went cold towards God. Once that has happened, anything is possible. Friends, this morning, I want to say this to you. Do not be like Bob. Do not be like Solomon in this instance. Pay attention to your heart. Don't let it get cold before God. Don't let your heart become cold towards him because as my friend said, and I think he's right, once that happens, anything's possible. You don't want to end up like that. Pay attention to your heart. I'm urging you this morning, pay attention to your heart, your relationship with God, that inner life between you and him. Pay attention to it. Stoke it. Feed it. Spend time with God. Be working at your relationship with him. Don't let it become cold towards God because once that happens, anything's possible. Solomon had incredible splendour. He had superior wisdom. But Solomon's problem was sin. And our problem is sin too. Sin affects you no matter how wealthy or clever you are. It's, it's no, it doesn't matter. Paul says in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you're in that all in some way. It affects all of us. You see, that's why God sent his son. That's why in a few weeks' time we'll celebrate Christmas. Jesus being born. God sending his son. Even the story of Solomon illustrates why Christmas is so important. Because of sin, God sent his son so that you and I can have a relationship with him. It's the greatest gift ever. It really is. And in a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together. We're going to have bread and wine. I'd, I'd, I'd urge you, use this time to thank God for sending Jesus. Before the busyness of Christmas really hits, maybe you think it's got busy already, before the relatives come pouring in or you spend weeks travelling around the country visiting every relative living or dead, sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? Let me urge you, take some time this Christmas, get a break. Don't just spend all of it in the car, on the motorway, trying to fit every relative in. Oh, we've been there, done that, and you come back exhausted. Listen, take some time this Christmas. But also take some time to remember what it's really about. Let's remind ourselves of God sending his son. And ask God to help you not to be sidetracked. Not for your heart to grow cold before him. Solomon's story should be a challenge to us. But it should also be a wake-up call to us. 
Solomon had amazing wisdom, great wealth. He worshipped God. He loved the presence of God. But there was weakness there that he didn't attend to. And that led him more and more into sin. And in the end, God was angry with him and tore the kingdom away from him. Why? Because his heart had grown cold towards God. Friends, this morning, don't let your heart grow cold towards God. Let's stand, can we? And uh, we're going to pray. We're going to have communion together. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.